Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog to learn. Hey, you're old and disillusioned now as you realize at last that all you have accomplished here will soon have all turned to dust. Welcome to the Ultimate Catalog Clash um, with me, Kevin Brown, and my very good friend, Corey Morissette. How's it going, Corey? Tommy used to work on the docks. The union went on strike. <laughs> he was down on his luck. It's tough. If you listened to last great. week, you know what's going on. <laughs> the, the difference between lyrics, right? There, there's one you can understand and one you need a PhD to try and understand. <laughs> So this is, this is the ultimate catalog clash. Um, every season, we're going to pick a different artist and we're going to cover that catalog and we're going to decide which is the best album in that catalog. This season is Phil Collins' era Genesis. I can't say era when I've had a couple of drinks, Corey. It just doesn't seem to work. Um, and we're covering both A and side B of And Then There Were Three. Today's side B. If you listen last week, we covered side A and we had a bit of variance on some of those songs, but we ended up, on average... Roughly about the same. Um, we got a rating system um, that we go through and we rank songs on music, lyrics, and production. And it's weighted more towards lyrics and music. And the eventual aim is at the end of the album is to come up with a score out of 100 between myself and Corey. So 25 each for side A and side B. And so eventually we'll end up with a, an overall rating for each album and one album will be crowned champion. Um, and we also have a, a weird little dynamic mechanism type thing to decide who gets to choose, which is the next artist we're going to talk about. We got to hold on to what we got. It doesn't make a difference if we're ready or not. We got you're each not other. Pick, you're not picking Bon Jovi. <laughs> I might. God, I'm, in a, I'm in a Bon Jovi rabbit hole right now. I got to tell you. We're halfway I'm, there. I'm okay up to these days. After that, eh, you kind of fucking lose me, dude. Oh, there's that country thing? <laughs> See, and because it's not all the way country, I, I think I liked it probably more than you did because... Like all the way country, like Travis Tritt, Marty Stewart, all that shit can go to hell. But th this was rock enough with little country influences that I was cool with. Yeah. Who says you can't go home? Air Canada. That's who fucking says. Exactly. Oh, God. And no one's going to get that except Canadians. But yeah, the, the airline industry in Canada is a fucking mess right now. It's on fire, man. Like we came, I came back from um, Charlottetown last week we had a 10-hour labor at pearson we were sat opposite the air canada uh, customer service uh, desk the whole time and it was backed up into the concourse for 10 hours it was insane oh my god, oh my god. what a nightmare I, I i couldn't imagine like i've only flown a handful of times in my life and i've been okay. to pearson i know what that airport's like but oh fuck 10 hours man i i i felt so bad for you yeah and that's twice the last two trips i've had to go through pearson i've been there for 10 and eight hours so um, yeah, and usually I fly WestJet. I, I yeah. fly WestJet, but I got Air Canada vouchers now for our next Ontario trip, and I'm kind of dreading it. I mean, if, if you can get not Air Canada Rouge, if you can actually fly like full Air Canada, full fat, okay. that might be a little bit better. But a little bit better. Yeah, uh, Rouge I'm is, to fly my, just cattle carts. Uh, I'm trying to uh, pick my my next trip to Vegas. I've been there a couple times. I want to go see Scott Kahaskin Haskins. <laughs> Uh, down in las vegas i want to go check out this big globe they got going on right now where you can have concerts and uh more i don't think i'm welcome though because we kind of shit uh, on his favorite song last show <laughs> he loves snowbound and uh, i was a little nicer to it than you were man you hated that track 
Can't stand that track, dude. Like there are again, I think within most of my favorite artists, there are very few songs that just make me want to smash my head into a brick wall until it's just a bloody mess. That's one of them. I just think, why does this exist? Why did anyone think this was a good idea to put on an album? I wouldn't even put it on a fucking B-side. Like, that's how bad I think that song is. So now it's not the worst song in the catalog, and the worst song in the catalog is yet to come. Oh, it's a it's a Phil Collins uh, era Genesis. It's a song? Phil Collins era, and I mean, you might have noticed that when I get really upset about songs, I swear a lot. I we're gonna have to put a beep in, in for that episode. I tell you now. Oh, I, I can't even imagine what it could be because I've only heard a handful of uh, Peter Gabriel Genesis tracks, but when he comes out in the in the fucking fox head with his wife's dress <laughs> on, I don't even and, or that big fucking bubbly thing from Lamb Lines Down on Broadway. <laughs> I don't even know what song that was. I'm like, I am out. Like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Play Sledgehammer, you limey son of a bitch. How do you feel about uh, Alice Cooper, though? I like Alice Cooper. His shit makes sense. His shit makes sense. If he's doing Feed My Frankenstein and a large Frankenstein comes out, I get that. I don't know what the big bubbly thing was. Why is he wearing a fox head? What song is that from? Is that from Foxtrot? It's from the album Foxtrot, yeah, because the cover of Foxtrot is a, a... Well, I assume if it, well, no, it's 2023. It could be a male fox, but it's a fox dressed in a dress. Okay. It's, it's not trotting, which is weird, but you know, I mean, see, you know, it, see, I'm, I'm kidding. If, if I see Frankenstein come out on stage, I'm cool with it. If I see a guillotine, I'm cool with it. I know what those things are. Those make sense to me. Uh, fox trotting? No, fuck you. <laughs> you know, I'm a hungry man, but I don't want pizza. I'll blow down your house and then I'm going to eat you. We're, we're not talking about, you know, these are not profound <laughs> lyrics. We're talking. They might be clear and obvious, but they're not profound. Never said never said they were, but it's still a, a catchy <laughs> tune. Great song. You know, you you can dance to it. You, you can hum it. Like, you, you can't do that with a lot of Genesis early stuff. No, and I should I should point out that I am a big Alice Cooper fan as well, as is my daughter. So, you know what? I've seen him twice. I saw him on his last go round in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, with my kid. We were second row, right on Nita Strauss's side. Oh, One of my man. favorite concert experiences of all time. She is fucking amazing. It helps that she's easy on the eyes, but she's one of the best guitar players on the she's, planet. Yeah, and astonishing. Alice Cooper, for being in his seventies or what have you, still puts on a hell of a show. It's that thing too, is when it's it's pure theater, right? Like it's yeah. it's. It's pantomime. It's it's Shakespeare. Yep. It's still all those the things. Guillotine, still does yeah. the the little bits like the dead babies. We have dead babies flying out of the thing, and yeah. it, it's all good. He comes out on schools out, and the bubbles are going off, and he's got the cane and the top hat. It's fantastic stuff. Does he still? As, what, the last time you saw him there, did he do? Did he mix it with uh, another brick in the wall? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of weird to it's pull a, that one at the end, but. It's a great showcase for everybody in his band. They all kind of get a little section yeah. in there before the end of school's out. So, because he's got one of the best live bands going oh my God. right now. Like, they're fantastic. Well, and I know that I've, I've read before that he, he treats his people so well that if you get that gig, you do everything in your power to keep it. And so he's got people who are committed. They turn up on time. They're rehearsed. You know, all those things that are, yep. that are important. And, and he's just a, a nice dude. I remember when he played Estevan, which is just an hour south of me, one of my towns. And uh, you know he went golf in the morning of you know he mm-hmm. went to a local restaurant tr- tipped very well treated everybody very nicely yeah you know uh, unlike some other bands Motley Crue who who kind of rolled through <laughs> uh, Estevan as well uh, Alice Cooper just everybody loves him and, and there's a reason he's a great guy and a great showman is Motley Crue a band or just a product oh my god at this sure point it, it, it's hard to it's hard to tell I, I I think they're leaning more towards band now they got John Five in there but I saw them in Estevan. And they're definitely a product. And that was the show. I don't know if you ever heard this. It was on TMZ. It was a big news. Some idiot actually jumped on stage 
uh, to get to Vince Neal and ran right through Mick Mars. Uh, Mick Mars, who's at, who suffers from that that, sp- yeah. that uh, spinal condition, uh, and knocked him right over. Like it was, it was horrible. Oh, wow. He was trying to get to Vince to give him a high five. I don't know what the fuck, but uh, security was really lapsed at, at that show. And they finally got him on the ground. And I'll never forget because I was third row for that show. Nikki Six was just feeding him boots right to the head, like just kicking the what? shit out of him. Because this guy, and it was Mick Mars' birthday. I remember uh, being in the hallway. They wheeled through Mick Mars's birthday cake. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. They made a cake for for Mick for his birthday. Yeah. And and they they, they cut the show short. It was just a horrible. I remember walking out. And I saw Nikki Six in the hallway talking to the cops, and he was so upset. Yeah, just of course. Like, I mean, this ruined the fucking night for everybody. And poor Mick, like he was fine. He got up like, "Yeah, I'm cool. Let's keep going." And and Tommy was like, "What the fuck is wrong with you people?" It's like, "Yeah, we're Estevan, yeah. right?" I know you and Randy aren't a big fan of that town, and he was actually from Manor, Saskatchewan. The guy who did it, but it, it made news worldwide, and it was just terrible. He's from Manor, but ironically, he didn't have any. Yeah, nope, I mean, it's that thing of this. This is our space. This is where this is our office. You stay in your little part and watch us do our job. You don't come up here unless we say that's okay. If you're going to stage dive, or whatever, then certain bands will invite that. But otherwise, there's a bit of decorum that should be observed there, and that's that's scary because if that guy gets on stage, it could be a lot. It could, he might not be going for a high five, right? Oh, that's no. He's he's attacking, and now it's become a real thing. People are throwing things at performers on stage. Yeah, um, somebody I mean, just threw their uh, their mother's ashes at Pink uh, at a concert not that what? long ago. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, is this supposed to be a? Is this supposed to be honorific, or I, just horrific? I don't, I, I, yeah, both. Uh, I guess wow. I don't know. I, I didn't dig too deep into it, but I just remember seeing that headline. And there was another incident. I think it was at a weekend concert or a Drake or something. People are just throwing shit on stage. Like, don't do that. Like, I know I was yeah. at Nickelback in Saskatoon and someone threw a, a bra on stage and he was like, yeah, bra, I'm, I'm so happy people still do this at rock concerts. That's one thing. But throwing your dead mother's ashes on stage <laughs> is quite another. <laughs> I mean, if it was the ashes of her bra, fine. That's fine. No one gets <laughs> sure. hurt. There's no, you know, yeah, no one's going to be breathing not? in your, gra- like, someone's going to breathe in your grandma. Don't do that. That's horrible. And, and Pink no just looked horrified. Like, this is your dead mom? Like, yeah. That's, yeah. And- uh, and again, stop like, throwing shit on stage. Stop throwing things. Well, that was why Foo Fighters stopped doing Big Me. If you remember, you've heard that story, yeah. right? Because everyone fucking yeah. hurl mentors, but they're hitting them so hard, it's like it gonna kill someone. And, and that's why Randy Woods uh, doesn't perform as much as he should because people kept throwing, uh, you know, explosives on stage, which I get. Absolutely. But you know, yeah, firecrackers. He's a one man dynamo, so they kept throwing bikes on stage, and it's just fucking dangerous, man. It is. I tell you, he's a pretty good musician, though, that Randy. I'm, I'm going to – I'll pass him a compliment on this show because he won't listen to it. But from what I heard, uh, he's a pretty good musician. He's an exceptional musician, um, an all-rounder, great sound guy, engineer, producer. I mean, he's, you're a fan of uh, the Northern Parks and Jay Semco from yes. the Parks. Randy's produced his last two albums, and I think maybe I can say they might be working on something. I don't know if that's a secret, but um, when this goes – I don't think Jason goes listen either, but so it, Randy's got a Randy's got a pedigree, man, and he's he's such a great guy with it too. So love the Pikes. There, there's a band I would be tempted to do on this show, uh, the the Pikes catalog because I I put Snow in June and Neptune uh, against anyone. Those are two of my favorite records of all time. Well, I can pretty much guarantee you that if we do the Pikes, I could probably get Jay onto the show. I'm that pretty sure amazing. that could happen. Uh, snow and june on vinyl is my is my uh, moby dick it's my great white whale i can't okay i can't find it for a decent price it's always like over 200 bucks wherever you look it's so rare wow yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna keep my eyes peeled 
and I'll speak. To, I'll speak to my contacts, such as they are. We'll see what we can do. Please, please do. Snow in June is a real seminal record for me, and because in Saskatchewan it quite commonly snows in June, <laughs> like it, it's so aptly named, like "Kiss Me, You Fools" on there, "Girl with the Problems" on there, "She Ain't Pretty," yeah. which is one of the best bar rock songs ever recorded, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Brian Potvin just knocked that one out of the park. So, oh, I love that record. Well, you know what though, like if we do it, Pikes. Uh, season that's great, but this season we're talking about Phil Collins' Zero Genesis. Oh no! And we're talking about side B. <laughs> we're talking <laughs> about side B of, and then there were three. Again, I went for you guys haven't listened to any of the earlier episodes in this season. It was a joy to me because this was when this was the idea for this show came from a, an offline chat that myself and Corey had after he'd mentioned wanting to cover. I think just Phil Collins, wasn't it? Or maybe yep. uh, Phil Collins on and, a show, uh, Era Genesis. Yeah, we're. I think yeah. this is the Aerosmith show. And, and we're talking about, you know, I don't even know what the fuck we're talking about, but it was just like, <laughs> maybe it's the, the difference in a band from one era to another and how yeah. Phil Collins' Genesis for me really took off and became one of my favorite eras of, of music. And whereas the Peter Gabriel era, I maybe heard a handful of songs and could name even less that I actually enjoyed. Well, and so then we sort of floated this idea and to do this podcast. And I thought... I guess I quickly or fairly quickly got the sense that I don't think Corey knows when the Phil Collins era starts because there's a lot of heavy proggy shit in this catalog. Before I, I thought it was 83. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was 83, Mama, Illegal Alien. Yeah. That's when I thought it started. I didn't know that Duke was an album or uh, Wind and Withering or Trick of the Tail or And There Were Three. So and then there were three. So we're going to start side B with Deep in the Motherload. This was an interesting one because it went by different names. It was actually also known as Go West Young Man in the Mother Load. And wasn't this also, I think one of the titles was Heavy, I think as yes. well, right? I think, uh, originally yeah. it was called Heavy, yeah. Uh, lyrics and music by Mike Rutherford. So let's check out Deep in the Mother Load. <laughs> All right. First of all, Phil is fat shaming right up the hop. <laughs> Get out of the way, fat man. I took that personally, Phil Collins. How dare you, sir? But <laughs> I, I feel targeted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, musically, it was just more accessible to me. Like you could tell this is a Mike Rutherford track. I know it was kind of plotting there, but melodically, I don't know. There, there was something to it. And this is yet another song kind of about the West. Uh, this is more about the gold rush in Nevada. Yeah. And so, you know, again, a very different sound for Genesis. It's a slow swing. You know, it's got that sort of, you know, it's again, it's still synth heavy. And we, we talked about this lots on this album for the reasons for that with Steve Hackett leaving. And then there were three, uh, Mike Rutherford decides to take on the guitars, but he's not, you know, sort of fully confident maybe as a, as a guitarist yet. So that's where Tony Banks does step up and fill a lot of this in. Um, so you get these Western themes, but with these synths as this sort of weird English juxtaposition against the, 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 the themes that they're going for. So, yeah. Uh, this was a, a frequent opener on the 1980 tour. Uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because you usually want a little more of an up-tempo number to start a show, wouldn't you? Again, a prog rock band? No, oh, you, yeah, could do a, you could do a 15-minute, um, you know, I'm sure that Yanni, the, the keyboard player, I'm sure he's open concerts, just holding the, the G note down for eight minutes while he does this, which people can't <laughs> see. But I'm, I'm, I'm being flamboyant of flailing my arms, you know. So, 
And it's wonderful. I loved that. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, but I, I, I prefer an upbeat. Man, when I saw Van Halen live, they opened with fucking Jump. Like, who the yeah. fuck does that? You leave that to your encore. No, they just opened with it, you know? Yeah, they're, they're only number one hit. Let's open with it. That's fan-fucking-tastic. Yeah. yeah. But I, I thought the vocals were nice. Uh, it, it's definitely more traditional sounding and kind of yeah. more in the direction Genesis would go. So to me, this is much more engaging than a lot of the songs I heard on side A. That's fair enough, yeah. Um, uh, my my first timestamp was two oh four. Did you have one before then? Pretty much exactly the same. Yeah. Perfect. So here, I I love that we kind of had Tony on one side, and we had Mike on the other side. Yeah. And that's what I I kind of wish more of that balance usually it's Tony way up front, both sides just blasting you in the right face. In the center, right. yeah. Yeah, whereas here, you know, you could hear Phil on the hi-hat and he's opening the hat and it's kind of, you know, it's just a yep. standard thing, but you got Mike on, on the on the left side, you got Tony on the right side. It sounds much more balanced. Like, this is kind of what, what I wanted out of side A. But it's funny because that's pretty much exactly, I mean, so what I'd written down, it was great bass running, excellent keyboards, balanced, and love those hat lifts from Phil too, yeah. because... Hatlifts again, as, as a drummer, and I suffer from this, I don't always write songs, my drum parts with hatlifts because I always forget about them. But when you put them in, and they're so crisp and clean, and Phil Collins is an expert with his hats, they sound so good. They add a lot of, it's not a straight symbol. It's not, it doesn't wash. It's just that short shot. It's got a really cool, crisp feel to it. So I just think it, yeah, it gives it a, a, a different feel. So. See, and as a hobby drummer, it pisses me off because I don't think I have my, my hat set up right. I can't get that sound. Okay. I I don't know what the fuck it is. Like I've tried having them like, you know, like a third of an inch apart, full inch apart. Like I've played so much with my hat placement just to try and get that lift to sound like that. And I can't fucking do it. Could be the symbols themselves too, because depends on the size of them. I just bought new symbian hats. Yeah. Okay. I just suck. That that that's really a lot. Hey, that's you know that when we get right down to it, we're trying to sound like Phil Collins. That's a fucking fool's errand. You know, try to sound 100%. like Meg. You try to sound like Meg White. I think we can probably get there. Phil Collins, eh, maybe not. I tell you, Meg White, I think is a little underrated too. To Great drummer, honest. but Great I can play that. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and uh, I'm I'm trying to you know, Phil Rudd is kind of my my wheelhouse right now. I can't play as good as him or with that fucking feel, but at least beat wise, I can yeah. keep up with Phil Rudd. Can play the notes. I can't keep just... up with Phil Collins yet. No, fuck no. And if we do anything on this show, if we do, if there's one thing that we accomplish is to appreciate and get more appreciation out there for Phil, Phil Collins as a drummer, then mission accomplished. And you can stop it right there, Corey, because we talked last week about, the, I can't remember which song it was, but you said there was a transition in one of the songs that you felt was really jarring. This one to me is... It's the biggest example of it. It's like, what the, f- why have you, there's no build. I think actually this, you know, it's what is, this is what, 515, this song. I think this is one where you could have actually added a bit in to make that transition a little bit more natural because this really feels like we don't know what to do here. So let's just, let's start this that section again. I have and the exact just, same note. It's like they go from, from A to C without yeah. having B in the middle, that, that kind of bridge section, right? Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, my next uh, time here was 338. Uh, things get a little heavy on a song that was initially called heavy. Go away, 
I, I dug that section uh, quite a bit. I was surprised to hear that uh, Mike used the bottleneck slide for the first time on this and actually uh, fucked it up and had it on the wrong hand at one point. Yeah. Which <laughs> I read that too, and I thought, I don't actually understand what he, what that means because... How do you do that? Yeah, like... You can't... What do you mean? You're strumming with it? And using it as a pick? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> like, he is a competent guitar player. He should know if he's got a slide <laughs> yeah. on his right hand, like, well, how the fuck do I play this now? Like, I don't know what oh to God. do anymore. <laughs> Um, Anyways, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I dug that section, and it's cool too. What I like, one of the one of the other things I like about that section is, and again, we I've talked, I'd actually written down overall about this album is it's a very, it's a good showcase for Mike as a bass player. Um, sometimes, like I mean, you brought it up on uh, one song last week that he's not always super forward in the mix, but the parts that he plays are fantastic. Now in this section, he's playing a cool do doom do doom. He's just keeping that um, those doubles going, but Banks is also playing those bass synths. So you've got that, it sounds like a synth bass, but it's a synth bass and a real bass together. And that's why you get that massive, greasy, super sort of sleazy bass line coming along, right? It, yeah. But again, it, I don't know, they don't have that kind of sound too many times in the catalog, so. Not at all. It, it almost felt like Foghat. I thought I was going to get slow right at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, my next time here was uh, 423. That's cool we, idea. I mean, we should. It'd be fun to go back sometime and look how many times we're picking the same things. Because I'm shocked, actually, how many times that I I call it a time and you like give a thumbs up, like yeah. I mean, Can you actually pick out the slide in this song? Because I tried, and I, I couldn't really earmark a time where I could actually hear the slide guitar. No, and you know what? Into this section here, I'm kind of curious whether I was actually listening to a different mix of this. Because I'd actually emailed my very good friend, Randy Woods, because maybe it's just I can't hear it over Zoom, maybe, but it feels like there's a there's either something like a reverse echo or reverse reverb or backmasking on the drums because it's that it kind of zips up into mm -hmm. the snare hit. Yeah. I don't, I, can you hear that on this? Because I, I maybe I just can't it, quite hear it. No, it, it's there, but it, okay. it's very low. Yeah, so maybe it's more prominent on the remastered. Maybe edition. I was maybe I got the remastered because I did go to YouTube uh, YouTube music. But anyways, but that's kind of neat. I like that. Um, that just that little bit extra production on Phil's drums because you don't put a lot of you know. It, later on, we've got a real that uh, that uh, flat gate, right? That he puts on in the air tonight and all those kind of things. That yep. gated um, Tom uh, sound, and then he would do his electronic drums and all those kinds of things. But in this era, Phil's drums weren't super produced because it just wanted to sound like a really natural acoustic kit. That's just that little bit of production that I think changes again, changes the sonic of the song. It's a subtle thing. It's a really small thing, but it just moves the song just that little bit. So in 1978, how do you achieve that effect? Uh, that that kind of reverse on, on the drum. Usually, what you would do is you'd you'd rec record the track, and then they just play the tape that section of the tape backwards just to get that because you know it's decay, right? So if I hit a cymbal, and then when you get it on some songs, it so they'll just reverse it so that it comes in the other way, and you can do that with echo, and you can do it with reverb, or you can just do it with the natural decay on the instrument. Um, I'm not too sure what they did here. Randy thinks it might just be. Um, uh, a reverse echo. He thinks it might be, but he's not sure either. So, 
because there's so many ways of doing it that yeah yeah nowadays in pro tools it's easy right you just like and you it would just be a sample now you just you yeah. just trigger a sample yeah but yeah you know, to achieve things like that in 1978 was like you actually had to physically take the tape you know and reverse it and play oh, it backwards yeah, yeah and it's so tedious and like uh yeah. was it behemoth rhapsody like they almost wore the tape thin they did so many overdubs on it like trying to just yeah. you know add so many layers to it and and different effects on it much yeah. different back then than it is today where you just hit a button and was, you, you, you totally get that effect absolutely and i was watching a, a documentary well, a little bit of a documentary today on, on, on premium raps as it goes and they were talking about the tape because they still have the multi-track right and they were saying that one of the things you have to do at a certain point is you've got a, some kind of coating or something you've got to put on it to preserve it because tape decays i mean you, well you know if yeah. you've got a, C, a memorex c90 from you know the first tape mixtape you sent to your girlfriend in fucking 1991, probably won't play anymore because that's an old fucking tape now and it's going to degrade it. Oh, and it was degraded to begin with because they ran it through so many times, yeah. so many generations. With like fifty over fifty generations, uh, Brian May even said you you could see through the tape. Like we had ran yeah. it through so many times, adding different shit to it. So it, totally different. Back in my day, we had to record <laughs> on analog tape. Let me tell you. Uh, Anyways, deep in the motherload, was there another uh, timestamp you wanted to jump to on this one? I got nothing for you. Let's All right, I'm good on this one, too. Uh, Mike Rutherford, I love Mike Rutherford. I thought this is a pretty decent track. Played 159 times, um, easy enough to play. I, I even made the uh, the note, easier for Chester to play uh, than, than side one. He probably yeah. really appreciated breaking into this one. I gave it a seven for music, seven for lyrics, and three for production. What did you give it? I went eight, six, and 2.5. So, like... I've always, yeah, I've always liked this song, um, apart from that one transition that that's what knocks it down a bit. I think for the most part, it flows well and doesn't really overstate its welcome. Um, there's some great meaty bass in there with that sort of double synth and a crunchy low-end guitar with those you know those big sort of synth pads. The lyrics, they're pretty easy to decipher, right? It's like American Pioneers, the gold rush heading west, all that kind of stuff, um, but it suits the song. So I went six on lyrics. And the production, yeah, that again, that one transition is just... I don't know. And I think it's another song where Phil could have opened his lungs up and pushed a bit of air out of his lungs, which we know it's there. I don't know if it was back then. I don't know if he pushed it too much back then, but I don't know. I think I think it could have been just a little bit punchier. So eight, six, and two point five for me. Well, that sounds good. And this has been three albums now where Phil's been a little reserved. Uh yeah, not 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 ready to push it. Hopefully, uh, when we get to Duke in later albums, he's he's willing to open it up. So, you know, if you got a Ferrari, you want to take it on the highway and open it up, right? You don't want to sit there and fucking drive around the block doing twenty. Yeah, well, you know what's you know what's on Duke, right? You know what song's on Duke. One, two, three. Turn it on again, <laughs> and then turn it on again. Phil lets the Ferrari out of the garage. Tell you what, that song is all right. But before <laughs> we get to that one, we got to talk about many too many. Uh, it's another Tony song. Let's see how this one goes. Now, straight out of the gate, Corey, before you hit play, you worried me. Because that noise, ugh, that's not a good noise. That's not a happy noise. That's the noise that I've got a theory that people don't actually enjoy golf because you ask any of your friends, how was golf today? The first noise they make is that noise. Oh, well, my swing wasn't very good. Oh, my short game was terrible. It's not a happy noise. So you've worried me there. Um, I got to tell you, though, I, I like this song. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> Piano's great. 
piano is fantastic. Yeah. Bill sounds great. And uh, Tony described this as just a simple love song. I'm cool with that. Yeah. I, I get what this song is about and I get what he's going for lyrically here. Uh, the thing that I found strange is the way you built me up, then knocked me down again. Everybody can relate yeah. to that. This is a very engaging song as a listener. It's like, I know where you're coming from, Mr. Banks. I get this. And the piano was just lovely. So I love how this song uh, started. And it's three minutes and 32 seconds. Good on you, Mr. Banks. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, and, and what I, one of the other things I really like about this song is it's that sort of first flash of freedom, which is a Tom Petty reference, for Mike Rutherford, where... It's oh, actually, I can play a little bit of lead, or I can do a fill, or something, because the the guitar lines that he plays in this song kind of make it those little lines. Because the piano is great, and if it was just a piano ballad, you could do this on piano just solo for sure. But it's the guitar that really adds that texture in that changes it a little bit, which I, I think makes it just way way cooler. Oh, you can tell that. I think he's getting more comfortable playing lead guitar at this point. This is probably obviously later in the sessions that they bro broke this one out because he was very restrained on earlier songs, but he's, you know, he's kind of willing to, to take a little more chances playing guitar, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I always thought it was weird that uh, Phil Collins felt weird uh, singing the word mama, yeah. which, uh, you know, just five years later would, would, would kind of be a big lyric for him. Well, and that's an English thing too. We don't, we don't say mom. We say, well, certainly in Northern England, we say mum with a U. Right. So mama, yeah, it's like, mama, what's this fucking Annie? Are you a little orphan Annie? Uh, no, don't do that. You know, I also thought this is where it never played live. It was rehearsed uh, in both 78 and in 2020. Uh, they were actually thinking about doing this on, on the on the final tour, The Last Domino, which would, I think would have been great. I think a lot of fans would have been very excited to hear uh, many too many, but they never did it. And I, I don't know why. When I saw that, because I didn't, obviously, I never saw Genesis live. It's another band I fucking never saw live. Um, I was blown away that they never did this one live. Absolutely blown away because, you know, throwing it all away or in too deep or some of those songs, you can put this in the set list in place of one of those songs, no problem. And it's no one's going to be pissed off. No one's going to be disappointed. This is the same kind of space we're in with this track. And I think it would work super, super well. And to just, I mean, not once, not even once. Are you kidding me? Really? That's what shocked me because you talked about throwing it all away and in too deep. Those were hits. Yeah. Uh, many too many wasn't a hit. Uh, and so that's why it's maybe easier to drop it. If they put it in that same vein with those two songs, I could see why they go with those two songs because, okay, we, we want to play Domino. Yeah. Or we want to play uh, Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea. Longer stuff that people don't know. We got to give them more radio hits, right? Throwing it all away and in too deep were both pretty sizable hits in 86, right? Yeah. For this sure, wasn't. For sure. So I could see why, but on the final tour, like break it out for one night. You could take one of those songs out of the set for one night yeah. and play many too many. I agree, hundred percent. Well, you know, maybe they did that. What Metallica? That whole you know, we'll we'll charge our fans for two concerts instead of one, and they hey, did the what? back to back things. <laughs> hey, I'm going to both shows in Edmonton next year, motherfucker. No repeat weekend. I I can't wait because when I saw them in Saskatoon, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. But yeah. they did so many songs, I or they missed so many songs I wish they would have done. Yeah. I'm hoping seeing him twice in Edmonton next August, I'll, I'll get to hear those songs. So. Well, I hope so too. All right. Uh, was there, I, I didn't have a ton of timestamps in here because I just kind of generally liked the song. Did you have another yeah. time you learned? Yeah, I got, a, I got a few little, and they're just little bits and pieces. So if you go to 35 seconds. Okay. So there's a little, listen out for a descending piano run. It's that, it's that little piano run, but Phil comes in on the toms with a little bit of a fill. And again, it's that sort of, well, play it first, then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay. 
dun, dun, so, dun, dun. Like so it, that's compared to his other runs, that's pretty restrained. He did that one run. Uh, I think it's still going. Actually, I don't know. Uh, we we stopped playing the song, uh, you know, <laughs> last week. But it was like, and it just went on and on and on. This is just a little thing, but very welcome. And it's one of those things that I I would be willing to wager a significant amount that this has worked up in the studio where someone said when I did when I play that, hey Phil, what about if you, what if you do about a Phil? And it might maybe the snare or something, and they they decide on no, it's just that straight. Did 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 did. It's that little you know the the rocks falling down the hill kind of thing, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that that's that little conversation between four guys who know how to write songs and play music together. But that's where that would have come from, I think, and it's very very effective. Yeah, loved it. And then a minute. If we go to the chorus uh, at a minute, Corey. Brilliant fucking chorus. It's a great change. Yes. Oh, I'm like, what was he? What was he hesitant about? It's perfect. Oh, mama, well, that's such a great line. But what it, I want it, you to do it's, now, it's mama. Like he, he doesn't kind of say the a. It's yeah, a mama. he drags it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I thought you were going to call it the bass right off the hop because I love that little bass uh, accent. Yeah. Mike put a do 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 do. Like it's just yeah. so great. But I, so we listen to that bit now. But if you go to two minutes now, we go to the second chorus. This is again where you don't need to change a lot in a song to provide a bit of movement. And I talk about this lots on. We both got other podcasts, Corey, and we can talk about them here. We can promote ourselves on the Tom Petty podcast. What Tom Petty was a fucking genius at was arranging songs so that you don't need to throw an extra chord in or go to double time or anything. You can just change the symbols you use, or you can change, you know the octave you're playing the guitar on, just something just to keep the song moving along so it's not same old, same old, same old, same old. And in the second chorus, if you play it now, there's a little change that Phil puts in. Everybody gets their chance to shine in that chorus, right? Like yeah. Phil vocally is great, and he, on the drums he's great. And Mike, uh, I love it. He kind of do 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 just it's coming down the accent. neck, yeah. And and but Tony's it's... doing what Tony should be doing, right? He's not overwhelming everything. He's, he's over there. <laughs> he's servicing the song. He's servicing yeah. the song, and it works perfectly. So he can do it. But again, it's that that little bit. It's just that washing that symbol out, so it gives you that sort of. Because Tony Banks would usually play in, that's where the synths sit usually in that high end, right? Where he's got that really high sort of trebly synth. Here it's the symbols that's, that's keeping that space um, occupied. So again, it's just those small arrangement and songwriting things that really good songwriters do that I always just enjoy listening to. So, Yep. Uh, was there another time on this one you wanted to check out? 2.44. Let's have a quick listen because there's a, kind of a weird, I think it might be a chorus on the guitar I'd written down, but it was like, we'll give it a listen. two things that's george harrison as fuck that string band that he does like that's yeah. pure beatles a total ripoff a straight yeah. lift um but again that tone is very it's almost like it's double but it definitely isn't because you can't hear there's no there's not two strikes on the on the strings so i think it's chorused um and the only other thing i've written down is that unless it's some kind of weird tuning 
because we know that Mike uh, Rutherford really likes to piss around with his, his tuners. So I don't know if it's just that that's throwing me off a little bit, but yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I wasn't sure what effect he had on there, whether it was tuning or, or something else, because it's definitely off. I think it's chorus because it's got that sort of, so chorus basically for people who are not nerds, if you play sort of a root E, if you put chorus on it, then it'll it'll put a sympathy, um, oh Jesus, what's your next, uh, a sort of a, a an A flat and a, hang on, A, G flat and a B. I should fucking know that, shouldn't I? But it, you can you can pick a third and a fifth in there. Usually, it's a, quite often it's a fifth, but you can pick the other notes that the the effects unit will throw in. So I think it might just be like a fifth or even an octave chorus or something. So, but but I don't know. I'd have to listen to the isolated track to have a better idea, right? It it, it took me out of the song a little bit uh, mm. at, at that moment, so I, I okay. actually ended up docking it. Uh, to me, uh, and not that this is a bad thing, it kind of felt a little paint by numbers. And that, you know, it wasn't innovative. It, it, it kind of felt okay. like a, a follow you, follow me, but just wasn't quite as successful. Uh, but I still like the song quite a bit. I actually gave it a seven for music. And I think I maybe docked it because of that section we just played. So I was like, okay. well, that, 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 that seems a little off. I, I couldn't put my finger on why I'm not a music nerd like you. But just to my ears, it kind of felt a little weird. Yeah. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a seven, uh, which for a Tony Banks song is really, really good. And then production wise, I gave it a three. So seven, seven and three for okay. many, too many. Um, slightly above average, but definitely better than a lot of the songs I've heard thus far okay. from early uh, Phil Collins Genesis. What were your grades on Many Too Many? Okay, so first of all, Many Too Many have stood where I stand. Many more will stand here too. And it's, again, it's that, to me, that's not an interpersonal relationship thing. It's more about that, it, it's almost like throwback to the music industry on whichever song, which was, I, was, I think it was the Down and Out, right, from last yep. week. Yep. Um, brilliant lyrics, because it's that, that idea that Acts are disposable. The industry just needs new meat, new kind of fodder to throw into the mill and grind out the sausages that people pay for. Many too many have stood where I stand and many more will, you know, that kind of thing. So I think this might be, and I'm going to, this is a strong call this early in our in our podcast. In this era of Genesis, this might be Tony Banks' best short song, I think. Um, uh, I gave so far, it, I would agree. Okay. Yeah. I gave it a, <laughs> again, I gave it a nine musically because I just love how stripped back and, and cool it sounds. Um, after the density of Motherlord as well. Like, what a great pressure release on side mm-hmm. two of the album. Lyrics, I just love them. Um, it's kind of like that companion piece to Down and Out, like I said. And then production is, for me, it's basically flawless. I wouldn't change anything on this song. The drums sound so present, um, but Phil plays them really sort of tastefully and doesn't dominate. Tony Banks doesn't dominate everything, so it's just sort of where it needs to be. So, yeah, 9, 9, and 5 for me on Many Too Many. It's one of my favorite Genesis songs. All right. Well, that, that lyric you mentioned is great and all, but I gravitate more to songs like Stay With Me, My Love, I Hope You'll Always Be, Right Here By My Side, If Ever I Need You, Oh My Love. Who wrote if that I'm one writing, for you? I don't know. Uh, some, some fellow named uh, Mike Rutherford. I, I think we might come up to it a little bit later, but if I'm writing a love song, that's what I'm playing for my girl. I'm not playing many too many. I'm playing the last track on, yeah, and, it, and then there were three. And it's not a love song. That's the thing, right? That's what I'm saying. I think that that's where taking it face taken if you don't listen to it too closely it's a ballad and it's slow and you can dance to it you could you know you could slow dance to it but it isn't it's not a love song it's it's a sort of a a pushback against the disposable nature of Justin Bieber or fucking you know these 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 kids who they take from the street and throw into the fucking sausage factory and use up and spend and then don't give a shit what happens to them that's what that always means to me and the, the first line sets the whole thing up on that so you know it's weird that Tony Banks should write about Justin Bieber when Justin Bieber wouldn't even be born for decades uh, after the song was written. 
no, I, no, I, Tony Banks. No, I, I'm Bank of Montreal. It's like, oh, fuck's sakes, Justin. Do you, ever, do you remember that thing? Do you ever read that thing where um, this is true? Bieber went to the Anne Frank Museum in yes. uh, in Germany and wrote the oh, bl- love being here, blah 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 blah. I think Anne Frank would have been a believer. <laughs> you need to go fuck yourself as hard and as long as you possibly can, sir, because that's horrific. Yeah. And yet, Rolling Stone named him one of the greatest Canadian musicians of all time. Left off Jeff oh. Healy. Left <laughs> off so many. Left off Jay Semko, for fuck's sakes. And the Northern Pikes put Justin Bieber 17. Like, fuck all the way off. On your other podcast, uh, Backtracks Theme Music, when you covered Confidence Man from Roadhouse, I was right there with you in your yeah. absolute just fury about Jeff Healy being like, I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Jeff Genius. Healy's not on there? Genius. One of the yes. greatest guitar players ever not blind guitar players guitar players period i mean steve ray vaughn loved the guy i mean if steve ray vaughn rates you chances are you're a pretty good guitar player when stevie ray vaughn says i don't know what the fuck he's doing with that guitar he's making sounds i couldn't even imagine yeah that is the highest compliment you can ever get which magazine was that Corey? was that rolling stone rolling fucking stone oh well, and obviously anyway obviously they, they looked at like <laughs> spotify plays and made their list based on that right like, i mean good grief. dumb Brian Adams is number thirty. Like, yeah, I mean, oh show, show me, show me, a, show me a more consistent pop song writer from Canada than Brian Adams for the last four decades. Yeah, I don't know there is one. So, unfucking real. Anyways, we're gonna do the Brian Adams <laughs> podcast at some point, but first we have to get through scenes from a night's dream. Let's check this one out. So this is one, uh, we talked about this off air, Kevin. There's no mm-hmm. instrumental on this record. I kind of wish this one was. Because oh. lyrically, like uh, Little Nemo comic strip, I have no idea what that is. So uh, lyrically, I- I'm kind of lost on this. But I-, okay. I appreciated that it was a happy little tune uh, after the first two uh, on this record. But lyrically, I-, I had no fucking idea. Did you not Did, did you not form any sort of a sentimental attachment to Little Nemo through the song? No. 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 Oh, really? Okay. No. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, had they written about Garfield, the cat who loves lasagna, or Archie, I I I would have been there. But but Garfield's an absolute knobhead. Like, there's no. That's why I I like him. (laughs) (laughs) He's a malcontent. That's why I like him. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Little Nemo. I I didn't really give a shit. So, uh, lyrically, I'm going to tell you right now. I didn't grade this very high because I couldn't relate. Uh, to to the strip, but I really appreciated the happy little tune coming out of the last one. I thought it was kind of yeah. cool. And it's you know it's that what I like about this too is it so, so it's a Tony Banks piece of music, and he tried to write lyrics for it, but just couldn't. He just couldn't get anywhere that he was happy with. And I guess Phil Collins said, "Okay, well I've I'll take it and let me see what I can do with it." Which Genesis because Genesis always wrote music. They did the music first. And then they wrote the lyrics. The music was almost always completely finished, really. And then they would write lyrics on top. And there's a brilliant, when we get to um, We Can't Dance, there's a phenomenal documentary that sort of documents the process behind that, which which you love if you haven't seen it. 
So Phil Collins takes this, um, and it's based on you know a childhood dream, which is inspired by this cartoon strip, Little Nemo. So uh, my next one was just uh, two oh seven. Did you have one? Oh no, forty five seconds because there's something we got to talk right. about. I got a fever, buddy, and at forty five seconds, there's the only cure. <laughs> See, and I'm just mad because I can't make my hat sound like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you probably should just get Phil Collins drum tech if you can afford him. Probably not, right? So, hey, a great drum tech and a great stool tech. If you remember on the uh, 07 tour on that documentary, I, my favorite yeah. part of that documentary was him going to like Costco or wherever Lowe's <laughs> and like trying out stools because Phil wanted to start the solo drumming on a stool. We we needed the right sounding stool. So he took drumsticks to like Lowe's or like I- Ikea is like playing on stools. Well, this one's okay. Yeah, I mean, use whatever's right, man. You know, um, you know the song Saving Grace by Tom Petty? Do you know that one? Yep. Oh, I love so that song. Th- th- so that. Highway Companion, fucking right. Yeah. So that's like that little bit, that little thing that they do, that's on the shaft of the symbol stand, right? So. Oh, is it? Make sure you've got the right. Yeah, that's where it is. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. You know who doesn't like Tom Petty? Scott Haskin. And he likes Snowbound too. Fuck that guy. Yeah, we're, there's there's going to be a fucking fight here. We need there's going to be an ultimate podcast clash. Is what's going to happen. <laughs> we were so brave to keep inviting him on shows for artists he hates, like Thunder and Tom Petty, and <laughs> makes it way more fun. <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, what was your next time step there, my friend? One fifty one. I've only got two more, so we'll go one fifty one. All right. Just that harmony there is phenomenal. And that's where, again, it's funny, eh? Because Phil Collins was so reluctant and hesitant to take over the singing duties. And the guy's one of the best pop rock singers of all time. Like, again, he's a phenomenal drummer, but he's also a fucking amazing vocalist. And to get those harmonies, to lay those harmonies up, okay, it's not Queen and it's not Van Halen. It's not that kind of level of it. But it's Phil Collins' level, and it works so well for this song. I just, I love that line, and because there's not harmonies throughout, so I like it when a, when a, an act or an artist will pick just one line to harmonize. And Carnival of Nations, it's got a sort of a big idea kind of feel to it. So harmonize that. I think that's that's Chef's kiss. That's super super clever. Phil Collins is one of my favorite vocalists of all time. I don't know if you're a big live album fan, but some of my favorite live albums. But seriously, live. Oh man, Phil Collins is so fucking good on that record. And even yeah. uh, the way we walk, the shorts and the longs from Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, from the weekend dance tour, he is in top fucking form. Like, yeah, hopefully he is outstanding. Hundred percent. I'm. I am a hundred percent on board with this. All right. Uh, my next one was two oh seven. Did you have one before then? Nope. Go ahead. So it sounds cool, but lyrically, this is fucking dumb. Found themselves on a moving platform, 10-ton weights above them, seeking audience with King Morpheus, scenes from a night's dream, poor little Nemo. Again, I, I don't know Nemo from the comic strip, so uh, th- this whole thing is kind of lost on me. Hey, do you know Morpheus, though? Do you know who Morpheus was? I know Morpheus from uh, The Matrix. Uh, he was the one who helped Neo uh, get into okay. The Matrix. Morpheus is the god of sleep. Okay. So when you put that in there... Nemo's dreaming, and then he, 
well, we'll 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 get into the lyrics. I'll, I'll expound on the lyrics a little bit when we get there, but I think it hundred percent right. makes sense. But okay, but I would okay. say though too is I still I, that poor little Nemo, like he because he does Nemo because he could Nemo, he could drag Nemo out, but he it's staccato. Oh yeah, like, I just think it's a I think it's a great vocal decision. I I love his vocal delivery on this song, and and yeah. I dig the music too. Lyrically is where I kind of get lost here, and I had no okay. idea what they meant by by Morpheus again. Okay. My my knowledge of Morpheus is. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne uh, from the Matrix <laughs> films. So. I know Kung Fu. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, how about we go to uh, 240 in the instrumental section? Okay. Does it service the song? I don't give two shits, man. It's so fucking cool. <laughs> it, it, Couldn't it give a shit. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm just I rocking the, it. The... I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I would just listen to the rest of that song. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was too kind of the production of the song, and uh, I'm trying to remember why. It was just a few hours when I listened to it for the first time. Uh, something in production of the song I, I didn't dig. Maybe it was the tempo change. I don't know what the fuck. Like I didn't mind that section there. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, and I like a lot about what they do musically here. L- um, lyrically, this song lost me a while ago. Okay. But um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. To me, it kind of average uh, Genesis, especially okay. from what I've heard from these three albums. Like, I'm not judging it, you know, any three Genesis self-titled on because those are the albums I know front to yep. back, right? Like the back of my hand. These albums, I don't. And I don't know. I, I was more average on this tune. And I'm trying okay. to remember why. I didn't make a lot of notes. I know the time signature kind of threw me off a little bit in, in sections. Um, uh, the verse, uh, lyrically, I like, or not lyrically, I hated it, but, uh, melodically, I like what Phil did with it. Uh, to me, this is kind of a Phil standout track. I don't know if the rest of the band stood out for me. Um, okay. I didn't have any more timestamps actually. Did you have any more uh, before we finish this one off? No, it was just that, that break into two, it was two fifty three. was in the middle there when it, when it breaks into that very aggressive sort of stomping yeah. kind of rhythm to end. I think that's just a very cool, cause usually you do that in the middle or something, right? Where you would pick the pace up to that degree and really sort of lean into it. But I, yeah. I like the way they just do that. I'll just throw that away. We'll just put it at the end. And I liked it too. I think I was probably below average on this song until then. And that okay. kind of lifted it up for me. So for this song, uh, musically, I gave it a six, uh, which uh, maybe they're just cranky because of the other songs I heard earlier in the day. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, listening to it now, I'm more inclined to give it a seven, but I, I, I said six. I'll stick with that. Yeah, for Lyrically sure. a four because I couldn't relate to it. I don't know the comic strip. I didn't really care about Little Nemo, uh, just listening to, to this song, giant nymphs and goblins playing, like, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it was trying to tell a story and didn't really succeed, in my opinion, okay. on that one. And uh, production-wise, uh, I gave it a two, and I can't even really remember why, because it <laughs> sounds fine. Um, like I said, the, the time signature threw me off. <laughs> Maybe it needed to be longer. Maybe 3.30 was too short. I Maybe that was it. If you're having a big epic song like Clam Caravan, you want that to go for like 20 minutes, not not 3.30. Who are you and what have you done with Corey Morissette? <laughs> Too <laughs> short? <more>. What? <laughs> <laughs> this one just seemed like it needed to be a little bit longer, which is, yeah, kind of okay. contradictory to everything else I've said. But Awesome, man. Yeah, so musically, I mean, it's got that weird 
progression in the middle, so the get get out of bed section. Yeah. But that breaks up the song quite nice. And again, this is a really lean song. So production-wise, I think there's everything is where it needs to be on this one. You can hear all the parts distinctly. The separation sounds good on this, where Banks's keyboards are not drowning everything else out, right? Um, again, the lyrics to me, so you've got kids. We, we, have, we both have kids. Mm-hmm. To me, it's that stream of consciousness, that sort of that chaotic thing that dreams are, right? Where you can't really nail anything down and they switch all the time. And there's no good reason why all of a sudden you're a chicken and you're trying to, you know, find uh, Jimi Hendrix's toothbrush. Like there's no reason that should be going on in your brain, but it is. And in the kid's world, that's just amplified up to that's bumped up to 11, right? Where they have dreams that are just the fuck. What would, how would you even, like, where's that come from? So the chaos in the lyrics in this song, I don't know the book either. So, the, but the chaos in the lyrics really sort of reflect that, very vivid, long-lasting impacts that dreams can have on kids. And so I think he captured that very, very well because there's no cohesion to the lyrics at all, right? You know, um, dragons breathing fire, but friendly, mushrooms taller sizes, well, that's Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Giant nymphs and goblins playing, streams of night's dream, poor little Nemo, I love poor little Nemo. Uh, Helped young Washington in the garden, cut the cherry tree down. So you got some sort of historical illusions in there. Nemo, get out of bed, don't tell me stories. Ah, Ten-ton weights above them, seeking audience. Uh, To me, it's very... It's this weird sort of, this shit goes on in your dreams at night. You don't always remember them, but it's that just your brain trying to process all these different things and make sense of them is what dreams, that's what we think they are generally. That's what science thinks they are. So to me, it's that's a brilliant lyric. Like, I think it does a good job of that. And I care about it. Like, I just want little Nemo to be all right. You know, I want him to get up a bit of bed and not be traumatized by these fucking dragons and the god of sleep and all this kind of stuff. So, so I went with yeah, I went with eight on the lyrics and four on the four on the production. So eight, eight, and four. I okay. love this song. I love this track. I tell you, uh, I didn't pick up on the whole uh, child thing okay. first time through, but uh, I, I'm looking at lines now as you're saying that it's strange to think they came from such a tiny head. And now I get it. It makes a little more sense now. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, retroactively, I probably would have dumped, bumped my lyrics up at least a couple of points. Uh, I won't because that's how I graded it when I first heard it. But I, I get what you're saying. I didn't catch that the first time. And I don't know if that's a product of me listening to this album front to back for the first time, really, uh, this yeah. afternoon. I've only ever heard this song all the way through a couple of times. Yeah. So uh, upon reflection, I can totally see where you're coming from. And I should have graded it higher on lyrics because I get that now. I didn't, though. And that's maybe a fault of the songwriter a little bit, too, that I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to blame uh, Phil Collins as opposed to myself <laughs> uh, for my own dunderheadedness on, on that one. So yeah, f- fuck you, Phil. <laughs> exactly, fuck you, Phil. But no, I, 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 I guess it. It, it is an interesting point, though. I think that all we can do is when it's an artist that we don't know, on an album that we don't, know, or an album and or an album that we don't know, we really have to go with our gut instincts and say that well, this is what I think about it now. Now, maybe if you give this album another three or four or five listens, you might think it might be a grow and not a show, right? It might be like, oh, actually, this is really good because I've, I've had that loads of, like, Steve Earle, as an artist, oh, was yeah. guy, I'm like, I don't really get this. I don't, oh, wait a minute. I think I, oh, oh wait, oh, oh, this guy's a fucking genius, right? So it's like, yeah. some some albums and Genesis, I mean, Jesus Christ, you're dealing with prog rock. It's not instantly accessible, so I totally get it. So you shouldn't, don't, never apologize, but I'm going to go with my first thoughts, you know, on everything I haven't heard before. You know, I'm thinking back to the first time I maybe heard uh, the self-titled album in 83, and I probably felt the same way. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, uh, a couple of cool yeah. things. Illegal Alien had a funny video, but it, it took multiple listens yeah. to really kind of appreciate it. And I can see maybe this song being one of those. So, 
uh, for now, it's a six, four and two for me, but uh, upon further listens, uh, it could be like an eight, eight and four. So all good, my friend, all good. All right. Now we're not going to have that issue. I think with the next one, uh, we're going right into torch song uh, territory here. The song called say it's all right, Joe. Say it's all right, Joe. I need another drink. You got somewhere to be, Kevin? I saw you checking your watch there. I mean, here's my issue with this song. And I didn't rate this, I didn't pan this one. I certainly, it's not, not snowbound, but it's so ungenesis. Like, this is a lounge singer, right? And it's like, God, this oh, it doesn't, it's a bit ponderous and it's got some very fancy chords in it some really jazzy you know he's using nine hands to get all these augmented and diminished notes in there but it, it just feels a bit is it gonna no no oh no it's not what oh no no not now no no like oh okay the, the, it's the start and stopness of this song that kind of threw me off yeah like it, it, it's not very cohesive at all like if you're gonna do a tar song do a tar song and like you said, that is kind of weird for Genesis, where it's just yeah. Tony at a piano and, and Phil. And, and then uh, I one twenty two is my first timestamp because that that's when the full band comes in. And had it stayed like that, like you're kind of building to something, but then we stopped it in its tracks again, and we go back in a torch song mode. And it's yeah. that start and stop and start and stop that that doesn't make it a very pleasurable listening experience. I don't think. And again, I think it's one of those things that I mean, I don't know whether you find this, mate, but. I do always appreciate when one of my favorite bands does something that I I don't necessarily lo- necessarily like, but I think, okay, I know what they were trying to do. They're trying to do something completely different and maybe sort of like outside the wheelhouse. And maybe they don't quite get it right, but I appreciate that artistic intent. Mm-hmm. It's just this one doesn't – maybe it is a great song. It just doesn't land for me, but I don't know. Like I, I thought it was interesting that uh... – Mike Rutherford didn't think that the song kind of came to life until they started mixing it. And I, I don't think it came to life then either. No, like there, there, there's something missing from this one. No, I mean, uh, it, it's not, it's not that it didn't get out of, out of first gear. It just didn't get out of the fucking garage. Yeah. Uh, 122 is my first timestamp. Did you have one before then? Same one. So I don't know when when I, I hear a, a piano beginning like a torch song beginning yeah. and then they kick in it like synths and, and everything else. It it does it. I don't know. It it doesn't fit. It's like putting a square peg into a round hole. I think this song is the biggest example of what the word we used quite early on in on last week's episode is uneven. Yeah. Right. It's got that thing of they know that this song needs to go somewhere because it's just not going to cut it the way it is. So they throw this in and this sounds like an offcut from something else. And they said, well, let's maybe try and repurpose that. But then the problem becomes, you know, if the lyrics to this point is sort of telling this tale of this sad drunk who's looking for reassurance, um, we get this now, this weird sanguine to, there were kings who were laughing in the rain. And they told me I'd come to lead the parade. It's like, well, I don't, how is this relevant? And it's not like we're switching perspectives in some of those earlier songs where you've got the same narrative. This is just completely disconnected. And then it loses 100%. me. This, this is the point the song loses me completely. Absolutely, could not agree more. Yeah, because uh, and they're very good uh, of switching the narrator perspective uh, in those two songs we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And, and this one, like you said, it, it's just totally disconnected. It's like they're taking two songs that don't fit together 
it, it's like you know you know peanut butter and chocolate is how you want things to mix together it's like peanut butter and avocado like it just you know <laughs> it fucking doesn't work and this song doesn't work i wish they would have kind of if you're going to start with the torch song keep that torch song theme going through the chorus yeah and, and, and all the way through the song we go back into this proggy uh, you know, synth keyboard fucking thing uh, into the chorus. Then we go back in a torch song and it just, it's so uneven. It's so dyslexic and yeah. it just didn't work for me. Couldn't agree more. I, I didn't have any more time snaps actually on this one here. I, I wasn't I a, one, a huge fan. I always, I always try to find something that's cool or good. And there usually is something apart from Snowbird. Um, 319. So it's just that it's that shine on. That's pure Phil Collins. Yep. And that's again just opening things up a little bit and not sitting his falsetto. Now we get a bit of there's a little bit of Phil Collins grit there. It's still a little bit reserved. It's still a little bit dialed back, but it's there, right? So it's just that lead out. That's the only time in the song I'm like, oh, that could be cool, but then it just trails off into you know nothing. And and it doesn't fit the song. If the song was building up to that, that'd have been cool. But we started off with this little piano number of like Phil Collins on a stool with Tony Banks on a grand piano in, in a in a jazz bar. And he's got a you know brandy in his hand and he's singing, you know, say it's all right, Joe. And this, this just doesn't fit. When I think when they used to because they did this on the 78 and 80 tours, and I think this is the song where Phil Collins would do it in character, right? I think Denise used to put on he put on a Mac and he would lean on Tony Banks's keyboard. As sort of that, well, I'm propping up the bar and it's this CD, you know, West End kind of, it's that kind of feel, which like you said, the, the whole middle section and this end just takes you out of that. And had they kept that theme throughout the whole song, I would have been more on board. I would love to see Phil come out, you know, in, in a suit in a jazz club with a, a you know, a, a, a thing of brandy and, yeah. and just sing and say, it's all right, Joe. But we didn't get that. So uh, I was a very kind on this one. Kevin, what were your grades on say, it's all right, Joe? I wasn't hugely kind either, maybe maybe more kind than you, but I said music musically a five because the piano is very good. And there, like I said, there's a lot of really very clever chords and modes that he's going through there and stuff that I would just never occur to me to write. But it's just a bit middling. It's a bit it's just a very forgettable album track, right? The lyrics again, it, I was okay with the lyrics apart from that middle section where you get taken into this weird fantasy thing it's like i don't know what's going on anymore and then production it just feels like it drags it's too long this no you know this is me saying it's too long <laughs> this song drags i mean snowbound dragged to the point where i would rather have just hung myself on the story more of it this song just you know it could have ended on a on that on shine on at the end that shine on at the end on a big shine on fade out done there you go there's your end right you don't need to drag it out any further than that so i went five five and two with my five for music five for looks and two for production is that would kind? You believe, would you believe I, I graded it higher than you did? Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Musically, I gave it a six. Okay. I really dug the piano. Mm-hmm. I love how Phil sings it. Uh, so I, I gave it a six for that. Lyrically, I gave it a six. And it, I docked it four for that. There were kings who were laughing in the rain section. Because, yeah, like you said, totally different fucking song. All of a sudden, we're like Misty Mountain Hop, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. What the fuck <laughs> is this about? But everything up to that, I, th- I thought was was good enough to give it a six. Um, production, I gave it a two because to me, it's the song structure that fails this song because yeah. it, it, it's it's two songs that don't fit smashed together. Uh, so I gave it six, six, and two. Can't believe I just said it's a, a Genesis song is too long as well. I don't know what's going on. 
And it was 421. Like that's not even. Yeah. <laughs> it's one that's of the shortest bad, songs on the album. When 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 you're 421 and you you kind of yeah, well, I'll just wrap it up, boys. That's when you know you've got a problem. And that's you know, I, I, that's just a songwriting thing. Sometimes you you know the idea is good, but you just can't quite get the right middle section, or there's just something that won't land. But you just Sometimes it's your baby, right? And you don't want to give it up. You don't want to give your baby up for adoption and it ends up in the fucking family with the rest of you. It's the, the little ginger kid in the corner who's getting beaten up by everyone else. And that's that's just families, right? But I don't know, man. It's not a great song. There's two songs. There's one song on each side of each of this album that I think just let the album down as a whole. And this is the song on side two. It's all about feel uh, when, when you're talking about length. It, I don't mean that sexually, even though it totally sounded like <laughs> that. Uh, to me, the perfect metaphor was the movie Titanic. Uh, when James Cameron, his first cut of Titanic was three hours and 30 minutes, and they did a test screening. And like 75% of the people said it's too long. So right. he cut a half hour out and made it three hours even. And 50% of the people said it was too long. He added 15 minutes back in to 315, and like 5% of the people said it was too long. So wow. he actually added time to it, but people thought it was, it, you know, the, the length didn't bother him. It's all about how you experience it in that time, right? So. Yeah, that's not a length issue. That's a pacing issue. And they yes. are different, right? Like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, what you said I, earlier I, too. Like it's what you said earlier. I can't remember which song it was, but it, when you think it's building to something, then it doesn't. It's that thing as a, as a movie goer or a music listener, it's like, it's that tension, tension, tension. And if the tension doesn't get released, that's not good. But if it gets released too early, then you're, oh, well, I'm just going to go to bed now. You know what I mean? So I totally get that. That's what that Titanic, the fucking Titanic is a great movie. Come on, give me a break. It really is, 100%. And I thought that was really interesting that he actually mm -hmm. added time because there was always oh, three hours, 15 minutes. It's too long. Well, yeah. when you watch the movie, it's not. And there's some movies where I sat in a theater for three hours and thought the time just flew. And yeah. there's some movies where I was in there for 210 and I thought this is the longest movie in my life. It's <laughs> all about the, the all about the pacing and how engaged you are yeah. into what they're doing. And, and that was kind of the big issue. Like you said, 421 of Say It's All Right, Joe, felt like eight minutes. Oh, it's too much. It's too yeah. much. Many too many. Well, let's see what you think about The Lady Lies. This is one of the longer tracks on the album at 608. Let's check it out. <laughs> Oh my, Mister Bang, setting out to the strip club. Are you like? Oh, my 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 first note was Baudry. <laughs> Something for the weekend, sir. Is that a Canadian thing? Or... Okay, <laughs> I have no idea. I I just didn't expect that kind of uh, intro with the stripper with the pastries, uh, pastries, yeah. and she's <laughs> flinging her jacket. And her like, oh, <laughs> suits you, sir. Intro. Suits you. <laughs> <laughs> such uh, strippers in england are they wearing like you know uh you know like full clothing but like they take a sock off or something like <laughs> i don't know they're, you're so reserved in britain i have no idea like uh, in america especially they, they they get really down and dirty but in britain what are the strippers like in britain well they apologize after they take off each piece of clothing just for embarrassing <laughs> anyone <laughs> i actually couldn't say i've been to a strip i don't know actually well i'm sure we i'm sure there are strip clubs in england but i and maybe when I was a younger man, probably I would have enjoyed going there. I did. Well, this is a complete segue now. We're off Genesis now. We're, we're, we're off the reservation. I went to a strip club once in Medicine Hat in Alberta. And it was the most excruciating experience of my life. I just felt really bad for everyone who was working there. The girls up on stage, the bot. I, mean, I just thought, I, I got to that age in my life where I, you sort of think, 
oh man, this is just awful. I I know what's going on here. No one wants to be here. They're all just broke and they need money. It's like, oh no, this is just not good. There's there's nothing sexy about it at all. Oh god, no. Right. No, I mean, no, it's no. just horrendous. So yeah. You know, my first strip club, I was 15 years old and I had a fake ID. 15? The, the, the Saskatchewan oh, hey, driver's 15, license. It would have been great. <laughs> it wasn't, though. Oh, yeah. I, I, I got into Plentywood, Montana, and they had peelers in Plentywood. And because it was my birthday, uh, the stripper did an interesting, like, uh, headstand thing uh, in my lap, and her legs ended up over my head and stuff. Oh, and my. I, I, I felt terrible for her. And, yeah. and then I felt bad I didn't tip enough. At the end of the night, I went to her, like, I gave her like another 20 bucks. Like, I'm so sorry I didn't tip you enough. Here you go. Uh, that that was really wonderful. Even though it was yeah. just really awkward. Yeah. And yeah, like she wasn't happy doing it. I wasn't happy receiving it. It's like, yeah, at 15, I understood, you know, th this is maybe not. Yeah. Uh, maybe I just thought as, as gross as I, I thought I should be at 15. Oh, I don't know. Lord. No, but I mean, you think about these, these, Poor women who, and they know that you're underage. Yeah. Oh, God. Right? I was 15. Just, I had the yeah. world's worst teenage mustache. But back then, the Canadian <laughs> driver's license was a piece of paper. And yeah. if you know the Coles bookstore, they used to sell a stencil kit that had the exact uh, size for the driver's license. <laughs> so I was born in 1974. I just scratched off the four and stenciled in a zero. Wow. And I was getting served all over Montana. And wow. my 15th uh, birthday... I was in Plentywood, Montana. I'll never forget it. My my buddies drove me down there, and I remember the stripper doing this thing. Very hot, attractive woman, you know, half naked with her yeah. legs around my neck, and there's old guys, like, sticking out their tongue and doing crude gestures. I'm like, no, this is – because she told me, put your hands behind your back. Don't touch me. Yeah. Don't do anything. So yeah. I was very – I'm very Canadian. Oh, whatever you say, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. And I, I – God, I felt so bad in that moment, and I was 15. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just icky, right? It's just a bit icky. <laughs> And, and that, that's kind of how this song made me feel. I don't know, because it's, it's right, it starts okay. off with this, this kind of bawdry intro, and, and then it then it's about <laughs> a guy who grabs a sword and, and rescues a maiden from a monster, and it oh. turns out she's a whore. It's like, what the fuck is this? Okay, I'd written down the lyrics in this one. Don't love the lyrics in this one. They seem a bit forced, period. And Phil <laughs> doesn't really sound like he gives a shit about the story. So. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, no kidding. And I don't give a shit about the story. Like this whole, uh, you know. So he rescues a maiden, and she's like, "Oh yeah, you want to you want to see my 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 hoochie mama right now?" And it's like, "What? Where the fuck are we going?" Like like she she's a demon. He's going to the demon's lair. She lures him in because she's a whore, and he lets her, and no one knows why. And it's like, why am I in, invested yeah. in this story? I mean, the siren call is a you know it's a fantasy trope. It's okay. It, I don't mind it when it turns up. But do it well, because this this song just doesn't do it well at all. I mean, it not at all. Like you said, it skirts around it and it's it's superficial. Yeah, I just don't think it's very well done at all. You know what? Uh, my first timestamp was two forty nine. Did you have one do before it. then? Do it. Yeah, Actually, two, only... two, two thirty nine. Go to two thirty nine because it probably leads into your bit. So okay, my my bit. The only note was what the fuck. So. <laughs> Thank you. 
So when I imagine a British strip club, it's like a woman <laughs> with, with like a, <laughs> and she's wearing a gown and she has one of those neck uh, kerchiefs on and like fully covered <laughs> all the way down to her ankles. And she's like, yes. And she's strutting around the stage. And occasionally she'll take like a bobby pin out of her hair and all the British men go wild. I don't know. Fuck, I hated that part. <laughs> yeah. Show him some more knee, Morag. Send him wild. They'll give you dollars, you know. Oh, did you see her ankle there, mate? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's just, I mean, what I'd written down was, we went back, you know, earlier we were talking about uh, the lack of Mike Rutherford generally on this album, in term, and certainly in solos. This could have been a guitar solo. And I think, again, if this was a guitar solo, because that synth just sounds... 80 cents sound, or 70s even, since sound like 70s and 80 cents. Sometimes all they sound good. And we'll talk about really good sense later on this side. This just sounds really like, that's not great. No. Um, and I think a guitar solo there might have rescued a little bit of it, but I don't know, dude. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, my next one was 325. And my note was, it gets better here. So let's check it out. Oh, okay. That's, well, that's all right. And that's why I think the drums keep <laughs> My Okay, so let's just rip through this one, because I don't think either of us are enjoying this one. 427 is my one of my main issues with this song. Okay. And it's earlier on to you, but this is kind of a, an, an example of it. That synth tone is awful. I, I just... A square set, a square wave on a synth is you can use it well. I mean, jump is a square wave. You know what I mean by that? Like with a so like a like a, a synth by the ah, is that, but that that kind of noise is a square. So the the wave itself okay. is square, like a like a turret. Okay, I'm doing because I'm showing Corey, but I should try and verbalize this for people who are fucking listen to our goddamn podcast. What we're doing, um, and I just it just it's so grating. I don't love that tone at all. It really ag- aggravates me. I didn't either. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, it has this bodry feel to it. It's no Pour Some Sugar on Me, uh, w- which was written <laughs> to be a song to strip to. Uh, I-, I can just imagine poor British ladies trying to strip uh, to, uh, you know, the lady lies. It just, oh, my God. It just hey, I've got an issue. I-, I-, I have an issue with Pour Some Sugar on Me. It's just going to fall off. That's true. Uh, unless you're sticky. If you're well, oiled then- up, it's going to stick. Pour some honey on me. It's the same number of syllables. It's still it's sweet. It's the same kind of thing. Eh, I don't know, dude. Okay, we're talking about a song Joe Elliott wrote on a coffee brick. Yeah, we're not, um, we, we should say that we should get at least one or maybe two vetoes each. I'm not doing Def Leppard. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't like Def Leppard. <laughs> What's wrong with Def Leppard? Okay, name name eight Def Leppard songs that are above. Eh. <laughs> Hysteria, Love and Affection, Armageddon, it, uh, On Through the Night, Hello America, uh, fucking Let's Get Rocked, Why Not? Oh, there's so many. I, I like Oh, that, that, well, that's six. <laughs> oh, you want more? Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, Kick uh, from the latest album. Um, Promises, anything uh, from the self-titled uh, record from a few years ago. I love yeah, that record. I'm not a huge Def Leppard fan. Oh, we're definitely doing that. I'm put down oh, on the list. For fuck's sake, I shouldn't have said anything, Kev, should I? <laughs> Kev loves Def Leppard. Okay, that's on the list. But did Kev love The Lady Lies? What were your grades on this one? Music, six. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff musically on this song. 
um, in the individual parts. I don't think the parts gel, but Mark Rutherford's bass, again, is fantastic. There's yes. some really good drums on this. The solo bridge section, the synths are a bit pedestrian, and it was, you know, it's a, a better balance between the guitars and keyboards would work on most of this album, and I think it would have rescued this song, like I said earlier. Um, solo's good, but again, might have suited... I don't know, a guitar to break it up instead of the synth. Um, so six for the music. Lyrics, again, I just think they, they're so stupid. and <laughs> It's a good premise. The siren call is a very easy, it actually should be an easy trope to write around. They just don't do it well in this one. That synth sound, it's so grating. And even though I'm a fan of prog, this just goes on a bit and it doesn't go anywhere. And it's it's actually a bit paint by numbers, this one, I think. So I went six, four, and two. So not not a great song, this one at all. Would you believe I went six, four, and two? <laughs> this is the first time I think we hit it right on the nose. Musically, like you said, enough interesting things to give it a six. Lyrically, I thought it was pretty dumb. Gave it a four and two for the synth sound and just for the song structure. Uh, yeah. Just really threw me off. So I gave it a six, four, and two. This is where you got to punch in the We Are the Champions clip, Corey. Oh, no, that's a different podcast. <laughs> different show. Different show, <laughs> different yeah. Show. Uh, speaking of a different show, this is uh, almost belongs to our different album, but we're getting like the first like proper Genesis pop song, even more so uh, th than the single from the last album. We're getting Follow You, Follow Me. This is one of their most played uh, songs, I think ninth. If you count the drum solo, this is the ninth most played track in Genesis oh, was it really? history. Yeah, 529 times they played this song live. Let's check it out. Kevin, I swear to God, I wept when I heard that that uh, that intro because this is the genesis I love. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have that great guitar intro. Tony is doing what Tony should do, right? He's in the background. He's accenting everything perfectly. Yeah. The drums are fantastic. The guitar is fantastic, and, and we kick into lyrically one of my favorite love songs. It's astonishing that this is the same band. Yeah, that did <laughs> Burning Rope, Ballad of Bing, whatever you know. Any of those prog songs you listen to this and it's like. You could also see that the sort of hardcore Genesis nerds probably weren't hugely happy about this, right? It's like um, Van Halen using synthesizers, right? Like you shouldn't yeah. be going, why are we selling out? Why are we going mainstream? Yeah. I think there was might have been a little bit of that with this song because, my God, this is as perfect an intro as you can possibly write. How do you, how do you improve this? How would you improve this? You can't. You can't. The, the, this is a perfect pop song. And the Van Halen example was a really good one because once they heard like since on why can't this be love everybody just turned that record off right and what they missed was the next song which was get up which yeah. is a great fucking rock and fucking yeah. tune right and oh th this is one of the best pop songs ever written I did you sorry i, I had to play more because yeah. i wanted to hear it <laughs> play more let's play more and then we'll get into okay. it yeah. okay. Now, did you notice, and I I actually didn't notice this until today, because I was telling you that I, because I went through, we were going to, we were going to record this a couple of days ago, and then we both had some stuff going up. But so I got a chance to actually sit down a little bit longer with that. I only noticed today when I listened through again, that guitar intro 
is the melody of the chorus. Yeah. And I'd never, I have never picked that up before. Because in, when I, that that is my I, one like maybe negative on the song is just the repetitive of it of it, like okay. it's why I didn't mark it perfect. I'm just off perfect. Okay, because <laughs> that's again so clever that it's easy to miss. Because and the reason I've probably missed it all these years is because that guitar part is so well played, and it's all. Do you ever listen to Mark the Mechanics? You know, do you know Mark oh. Rutherford's spinoff? Okay, all so, I need is a miracle. Is one of my favorite songs, man. We're doing that band, but so it's that it's got that quality to it where he does that muted staccato kind of lick. But I, I so I've just always reveled in the tone of it and the effects. Again, it's got some, but I think it's a flange I put on. It's definitely a flange effect on there um, to get that sort of spacey, sweepy kind of thing. So I've always just enjoyed it sonically. I've never actually necessarily really listened to what exactly the notes and what's them. I've never sat down and tried to play it on piano. So when I figured it out today, I'm like, holy fuck, it's, it's follow you, follow me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, wow, that's really clever. Super, oh, super so, clever, yeah. So fucking good. Uh, my first note was, this is the genesis I love. Yeah. This is why I wanted to do this show, it was tracks like this. Uh, did, did you have a timestamp? Because I, I would just play the whole fucking thing. See, that's the problem with this song, and I, I kind of written this down, is the issue with this track and trying to pick out sections of it is there isn't really a moment in this song that's like, holy fuck, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's just the whole track is so cohesive that I don't know exactly how we talk about it specifically, but we can talk about it in broad terms. But I've got one or I've got three points, but one or three is my first one. And it's a very small thing. Can you hear those? Like it's like a, it's almost like a synth conga, or something. That little percussion. He's playing, yeah. and it carries on through the next verse. And again, that I mean, it's always been there, so I've definitely heard it before. But you know, when we do podcasts, we sit and listen to music a little bit differently. It's like I don't know if I've ever really actually noticed that before. Mm -hmm. But I just think it's very, very cool. It's something again that you know Banks does this on. Um, uh, oh no, I can't dance. we can't. I can't dance. Well, there's all sorts of little synth percussion stuff going on. It doesn't need to be there, but it just kind of gives it that little bit of thing. And this is one of those times where maybe it was one of the first times where we added this thing in. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Works for me. Work for me and we can't dance too. Sorry, I can't dance. I guess is the name of the track. I can't dance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh my next one was two twenty three. Sure. Let's go to there and then I might bounce back if I want to, but let's okay. go. I, I know why you go. This. I know why you're going to 223. I know exactly why you're going there. <laughs> and my only note was could have used a better solo. I don't know if it's the tone. Or, or or if it's this like it, it's pretty cool. There's something about those synths that kind of threw me off a little bit, though. This is wow. the only reason why I would knock it like half a point. It's great, but I don't know. I expect a little more here, maybe. Wow, because that this is one of the this is the 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 only kind of wow moment in the song for me. Really, that is a fucking amazing solo. Because Banks could go really left field with that, but he sticks to the sort of the. He's in the major and minor pentatonic when he's playing that, but he also throws a couple of little weird notes in just to kind of 
I'll make sure you know it's Tony Banks, right? But it's such a flowing, straight, cool solo that I love it. And what I was saying earlier about like synth sounds sometimes can be really, really dated. I don't think that sounds, I think that sounds good now. I think if, you know, if you think about like bands today who are doing retro, that's a sound you could totally put into a pop song now and it would work. And I think it just sounds, I think it sounds great. Maybe I think it's the tone more than anything. Okay. It, it okay. sounds like it, it, it's coming like it, it's a pre-programmed thing on an organ where, where you're, you're trying to get a certain effect, right? I, I think it's the tone that just kind of threw me off. And literally, this is just like a 0.5 difference for me. It's not a huge yeah. thing. I thought what he played was amazing. It, no. Yeah, I, I think it's the tone that sounded a little too, okay. I don't know, dated. Like, like, like okay. For you, it didn't sound dated. For me, uh, just that tone, I think, sounded a little dated. That's awesome, though. I mean, that's that's the, again. This is why we both do music podcasts. Is because music is subjective and it's great to talk about, and you always get different looks. Now, having said all that, you are wrong, um, and that's okay. It's, it's absolutely fine that. to be wrong. So I'm wrong that. almost all the time. So you know, um, I, I accept that because his playing on that is pretty phenomenal. Oh, it's so great, man! And I've heard him. You know, well, you've definitely sort of seen Genesis play live lots too on video. And when he gets this bit, he fucking nails it every time, man. It's yeah. just it's just on like it, which you know, it's the thing with it, like a guitarist will play a solo different ways, you know, if they're jam guitarist or it's a blues or whatever. Tony Banks when he plays a solo from a Genesis song, it's the for solo that you know, which I know a lot of people wouldn't love, but I think watching someone execute to that level as a technician, man, there's he's pretty much unparalleled in the world of prog rock. And to me, this is by far the best Tony sounded on this album. Like, this is his standout track. Yeah, 100%. Uh, did you have another time step you wanted to go to here? Yeah, I did want to go to 154. So we're going to go, this is the first, uh, this is the first for the Ultimate Catalog Clash. We're going to go backwards in time. So the note I'd written there is, it's the end of that line. And while I live, I will, which leads into the chorus. Because usually, I mean, the first chorus is, uh, the first verse doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the, how the first verse ends? Ah, oh, no. Oh, my love. Oh, oh my no, love, yeah. Al- uh, alone with you, actually. Every day is such a perfect day to spend alone with you. I will follow you. We'll follow you. So that's that's a separate clause. Like, like okay, that yeah. We've done that bit now, period, full stop. And while I live, I will follow. So I just, I think that's, again, as a hobbyist songwriter, you're always looking for those little things where you think that's just gold and that's gold. That's a yeah. really brilliantly written line. And, you know, so we, I don't think we talked about this. So, so Mike Rutherford said that this is a, a band effort, which it's, it's funny because this one doesn't feel like it would be right because Los Endos was a band effort and that's this big, epic, fucking ridiculous proggy thing. And a lot of the, band efforts from the, the the two albums before this were that kind of thing, where this is a band effort that's a ballad, which is weird. And so Mike Rutherford says, well, I'll go and write the lyrics and does them in less than 10 minutes. And, and he wanted to write this one for the lyrics. Write, right? Yeah. They, for his wife. Want... It was written about his wife. Yeah, and, and I think as a band, they wanted, like, I, I think prog rock is very male-oriented. It's kind of like heavy metal, uh, where it's yeah. like, you know, definitely 70, 30, or 80, 20 male, right? So yeah. uh, they, they said they kind of wanted to write one for the ladies. And, and, and write a nice little love song, and, and they succeeded 
They certainly did. Why did you write this one then, Corey? Man, I gave it a music a nine, lyrics a nine, production four point five. Definitely the my favorite song on this album, and one of my favorite Genesis tracks of all time. Again, uh, if I'm going to knock it uh, musically, um, the tone on the solo, I might dock at half a point. Okay, uh, for for that kind of thing. Um, lyrically, I thought it was great, little repetitive. Uh, maybe could have used a little more inventiveness uh, in the lyrics, but yeah. And and song structure, like it's three fifty nine. It's a perfect length. Uh, again, it's a little longer than a song like "Scenes from a Night's Dream," but it it feels like it's shorter, like right because it, it's that pacing. Yeah. Uh, the the song is paced perfect. Uh, it's Absolutely. one of my favorite in the catalog, so I gave it a nine nine and four and a half. Awesome man, yeah. I mean, we're not we're not that far off. Um, it's funny because one of the things going listen well listen to this for the podcast. I mean, I know this again like you. I know this song like the back of my hand, but I always used to sing, "I will follow you if you follow me." Mm-hmm. And the difference between I will follow you if you follow me and I will follow you, will you follow me, is really important. Because I will follow you if you follow me puts a condition on my love. I will follow you, will you follow me, is a very much a sort of beseeching. Now I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm I've got I'm, I'm the lower status uh, partner in this relationship. So I, I, I when I kind of you know it's years ago now, but when I realized I was like, oh man, that makes this song that immediately makes this song way better because it's not combative or argumentative. It's basically a song saying, I really love you. Can we stay together? I'm on the road all the time and I know it's hard, but I, I just need to be with you. And we need to stay together. Will you follow me? Like that's so cool, man. And to write that earnestly, writing lyrics like this earnestly are, is really difficult to have them not sound super fucking cheesy. Right. And it helps having Phil Collins sing it. Because when Phil Collins sings, I will follow you, will you follow yeah. me? It, it's so welcoming and loving. And and if you follow me is very much, like you said, kind of combative, right? Like, yeah. I'll follow you if you follow me. Yeah, it, it, it definitely makes a huge difference. But Phil, I think, just vocally knocked this out of the park. I think and, and this was... is a song, I don't know if Peter Gabriel can pull this song off. Definitely not. No, no, no. Because you know what? You think about the only, I would say, straight up, ballad in peter gabriel's catalog is don't give up and that's a very specific thing and it's got kate bush and it's super weird as a song yeah, he can't song Phil Collins like. can't, uh peter gabriel can't sing this yeah yeah it's funny bring up don't like i really hate that song <laughs> not yeah, a fan oh. sorry not a fan hey i'm we're doing peter gabriel next then if i win <laughs> hey as long as i get sledgehammer i'm happy as yeah. soon as the intro to sledgehammer hits I, all my cares melt away and, and I'm a kid again, and I'm loving the life. Al- album version or single version, though? I don't care. More give me both. Give me both. Give me both. I don't care. <laughs> All right. So I was nine, nine, and four and a half. What were you on? Follow you, follow me. Yeah, nine for music. I went. I only. I went eight for lyrics, only because they're very, very simplistic, and they're they're perfect for the song, right? So I'm I'm always trying to figure out how. Well, how do I rate these things exactly? Because if I was going to say, is the music and the lyrics perfect for the song then it's a 10 on both counts but genesis have written equally good lyrics and music for the song but are also stronger either musically or lyrically so i went nine and eight and then five for the production because the production on this song is like i say I, there's we said i said it in the intro what would you change about this song i can't think of a single thing i would change about this song it's perfect. the only reason the only reason i docked it half was the tone on the synths Okay. Otherwise, otherwise, it, it, it's a perfect song for me too. Well, it's funny you said too, like because I think Mike Rutherford said right that the song 
got it sort of more life because of the way that Phil Collins sang it. He didn't yeah. over-egg it. He didn't, what was, what's chewing the scenery? Is, is that the overacting thing? Yeah. Yeah, he's not doing that. He's he's been, and this is what I was saying. This is the song where I think you get the real Phil Collins. This is the Phil Collins on between the lines, and you know, oh man, what's the what's the duet he does? Uh, Separate lives. That's mm-hmm. Phil Collins. That's Phil Collins just really exposing himself and opening his heart to his audience. And this this is the first song he did it on, I think. Right. So yeah, uh, one more night, another great example against the odds. Like yeah, mm-hmm. he's fantastic at that. So um, for uh, side B. Uh, my averages were uh, seven, six, and two and a half, uh, which equals out to 62%. So for the entire album, uh, and there were three, I gave it 31 and a half out of 50, which grades out to 63%. What were your grades on? And then there were three. Yeah, so what I've done, I've I decided something today that I'm going to start doing. And, and if you tell me to fuck off, that's fine. So music, I went overall on average is seven. Lyrics is six. Production is 3.5. So technically the average should be... 16.5 but i'm rounding up because i think there's enough in my brain there's enough variance where it, it's just it's tipping to the higher end of 16.5 in the lower end so i'm going 17 overall so my overall on the album is 34 okay so that's what i would give this album and again it's i was talking to my um stepdad who really was the guy who really got me into genesis and I said that last uh, last two weeks ago's album, uh, Wind and Wuthering, I totally dismissed that album. I thought that album was absolute garbage and had just forgotten about it. This album I was definitely a lot more familiar with. And I, you know, Scenes from a Night's Dream, uh, Down and Out, Deep in the Mother Lord, Follow You, Follow Me, Many Too Many. I knew that I loved those songs. So I knew that there was at least half of this album that I loved, whereas Wind and Wuthering I'd just kind of forgotten about. So this has been a great exercise for me too, going back and listening to Genesis and doing the same thing that, you know, I've always said thanks to you and I do it unironically and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, is I am in love with Van Halen again because I've listened to your podcast. And I really just hope that there are a few people who've maybe forgotten about Genesis who either are in your camp who are just waiting for, you know, Abacab and Genesis and Invisible Touch, or maybe some people who've forgotten about Wind and Wuthering and and then there were three and Trick of the Tail and Rediscover, a really fucking incredibly great band. Absolutely. Uh, would you be shocked to know that this is our lowest rated album so far this season? No, it, that doesn't surprise me because, I, again, I think we talked about this. It's so uneven and the low points on this album, are like, I don't know what to do with Snowbound. I just don't know what you do with that song and why it's on an album and uh, what the fuck. That's the only thing I can say, right? Um, yeah. and then there's just moments that say it's all right, Joe is weird in the wrong way. Lady lies, it's just like, ah, I don't know. And I, I, so, no, this doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. This all lowest, no, no, it's it, very dyslexic. This album, uh, 65.5 percent. Uh, we were on this record on uh, Wind and Withering, we were 67 percent, and on uh, Trick of the Tail, we we're 77 percent. So, currently, a uh, Trick of the Tail is leading the way. So, if you pick that one, Kevin, you're looking pretty good so far. It's going to get trumped. <laughs> I think look, so too. We got look, we got okay. some pretty we, good stuff coming up. Yeah. So we, again, calling back people to what we said earlier, we, we picked one album that we were going to chalk off that neither of us could pick as the the, the high score because I'm pretty sure I know which album that's going to be. It's pretty much going to be with Invisible Touch just because it's one of the most perfect pop records ever made. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that it's you know because it's very different Trick of the Tail because it's not prog rock. But we've also got Genesis, and we've also got We Can't Dance. 
We've also got Abacab, which is a sleeper album, man. I mean, there's some really fucking great stuff on Abacab. The, and if I, you're not I, as familiar with that one, I think you'll be a little bit surprised by that one. And I'm not. And I'm not that familiar with uh, the song we're doing next, which is Duke. Obviously, a couple of big hits off of Duke, uh, Misunderstanding yeah. and Turn It On Again, which was their concert opener uh, ever since 1980, right? Like, it's such yeah. a, a great rock and song. But like, uh, Call the Sack, Please Don't Ask. Uh, the whole Duke, Duke's Travels, Duke in. Like, you know, I'm kind of lost on those. So I'm really yeah. looking forward to next show where I can dig into Duke. And Duke takes us that next step away from Prague. It's still, because Duke's a concept album. Duke's the first concept album since Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, but it's not as dense conceptually. And it's a got it's still got those pop sensibilities that they were moving towards. So it's this weird, very weird hybrid. It's like a pop concept album almost. So I'm I'm really I knew that these three, I was I was kind of you know coming into this, but these three, Corey just needs to get through these three. And if we can get through <laughs> these three, the podcast will live on. Maybe this will kill the podcast. I don't know if he can get through these, but you've got through them. So I'm I think, you know, well done, hey, sir. Well done. And I I was positive on all three. Like uh, yeah. I didn't give either of these albums a failing grade. So that's Absolutely. good on them. Yeah. Okay. Well, should we wrap this up, Corey? I think so. So we've done um three albums now. And then yes, there were sir. three. And then there were three. We've done three. And then there were three. <laughs> see what I did there? Huh? huh? <laughs> I see what you did. And we didn't have to do Supper's Ready. Very happy about that. You know, we're doing a standalone. We are one, I mean, genuinely 100%. A Christmas episode or a Kev's birthday episode or something. All right, I'm going to make birthday. this as ready. There you go. Kev's birthday, I'll do a Christmas. I don't want to ruin the holidays for anyone. Come on. <laughs> well, actually, I'm just trying to think if we do, it could be an Easter episode because there is a, a tie in there. I think Easter 2024, look out for an Ultimate Catalog Clash episode on Supper's Ready. All right. That's kind of like an album. I, I, I can live with that. Okay, folks, you know what? We are on social media. You can find us on Twitter at UCatalogClash because of Mr. Musk's stupidity. And again, you know, maybe we'll be somewhere else after Twitter dies. Uh, you can find us on social uh, social media. You can find us on Facebook at Ultimate Catalog Clash. And that's catalog spelled the English way, by the way. I, we should say that too, I think, because catalog is spelled C-A-T-A-L-O-U-G-E. Does not end with G. That's right. Canadian too, right? We spell it. That here. is Canadian. Yep, hundred percent. I've been here. I've been here too long. I don't know which ends up. I don't know what's English, what's Canadian, what's American, what's fucking Dutch. I don't know. I just don't know anymore. Um, but you know what? From myself, my name's Kevin Brown. My friend on the other side of Zoom is Corey Morissette. He lives in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, a fine city. Um, come back and check out next week when we're going to be talking about side A from Duke. <laughs> <laughs>